I remember it like it was yesterday. My children wanted to sell their video games. And we went to the local store where we were going to trade the games that we probably spent like 50 to $65 on and get money for those games. And the store was offering us $5 for these games that were like 65 bucks. And my son said, let's put them on eBay. There was no computer in my office. When I was a lawyer, I took pictures on a camera with film. So I don't want to date myself, but I guess I am. Digital cameras were not part of my lexicon, if you will. And I said, okay, let's do it. So we put the kids' video games on eBay. It was kind of like a project for all of us. We put them on eBay and they were selling for 40 bucks, not the $5 that was being offered to me by the store. And I was kind of hooked on this process. I was engaging with people all over the world. I was selling the kids' video games. The kids were so thrilled. They were making so much money. And when the games that they were willing to sell depleted, I found myself feeling like, wow, I want to continue this. How can I continue this? Fashion was always my passion, and I decided to start selling the designer clothing, shoes, and accessories that I had that I was previously taking to a local consignment shop when I no longer wanted, needed, or was wearing those items. And I went outside in my backyard, and I hung my clothing on my outdoor furniture. I wanted to make it look really pretty. I wasn't trained. I didn't grow up in the age of computers. I didn't grow up in the age of digital cameras but I taught myself and I took pictures of my clothing and people were buying them. Did you notice the excitement in her voice when she said, and people were buying them? Let's hear it again. I took pictures of my clothing and people were buying them. That's the sound of what entrepreneurs sometimes call a light bulb moment. It's one of those misunderstood concepts in entrepreneurship People usually think a light bulb moment is a brilliant idea, a moment of inspiration, or a stroke of genius. It's not. A light bulb moment is when you run a mini experiment or test a small theory you have, and the results work better than you'd imagined. And in your head, you find yourself saying, wow, I can't believe how well that worked. I think I need to try it again. And so you do. I even started going to Marshalls or local outlets and buying things so that I could sell them. And I was really hooked on it. And friends started to hear about what I was doing. And I always say this and I stand behind it, but word of mouth is probably the most powerful marketing tool. And there was no social media. This was like, oh, my friends from law school in New York were hearing about what I was doing and said, I'm going to send you my stuff. Can you sell it for me? Sure. So a business was born. That business is called Linda's Stuff. The person you just heard talking about it is the founder, Linda Lightman. And this is the story of how she turned it in an experiment to help her kids sell their video games on eBay into a $25 million per year global fashion mini empire. You ready to hear her story? Great. Let's get dialed in. Hey. 
Hey there, and welcome to Webmasters, the podcast where we hear from some of the earliest internet innovators and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Aaron Dinan. I'm part of Duke University's Innovation and Entrepreneurship Initiative. I teach entrepreneurship classes. I study the history of the internet and internet businesses. And before all that stuff, I used to build venture-backed tech companies. So yeah, I'm the kind of person who thinks stories about internet entrepreneurship are really cool. If you do too, you're going to love today's episode with Linda Lightman, founder and CEO of Linda's Stuff. Linda actually started selling on eBay from her home in 2000 when the platform was only a few years old. The business has outgrown her house a little bit since then. She's now operating out of a 100,000 square foot warehouse, and she's the biggest seller of designer fashion on eBay worldwide. But before she can explain how she got there, I need to explain to you how you might be able to get there one day too. If selling with sites and tools like eBay and Amazon and Shopify interest you, then you should check out my wonderful sponsor for this podcast, Latona's. Latona's is a boutique mergers and acquisitions company that specializes in buying and selling cash flow positive internet businesses like, well, eBay stores and uh, Amazon FBAs, not to mention content websites, SaaS applications, domain portfolios, and all the other types of online businesses we explore here on Webmasters. So if you want a head start on becoming the next Linda Lightman, check out latonas.com to see what kinds of already profitable e-commerce businesses they're selling right now. Or hey, maybe you were already on your way to becoming the next Linda Lightman, but you've decided it's time to cash out, maybe make a change, try something new. Whatever, that's cool. Latonas can help you too. They specialize in helping internet entrepreneurs get top dollar for their online businesses. To learn more about how you can buy your next internet business or sell the one you've already got, check out latonas.com. That's L-A-T-O-N-A-S dot com. When you do check out Latonas, which you're gonna do, right? I think you're gonna be surprised to see how many people have built entire businesses on top of platforms like eBay, as well as Amazon and Etsy and similar types of marketplaces. It can seem a bit weird at first glance because those sites are themselves enormous companies. But fundamentally, eBay's business isn't about selling products to consumers eBay's business is about creating a valuable marketplace for sellers like Linda that lets her sell her stuff, and of course in Linda's case, lots of other people's stuff, to those consumers that eBay has built. That means a lot of what Linda focuses on is acquiring stuff she can sell at a profit. Luckily, as she's going to explain, this particular skill is one she's been honing for quite some time. I was a lawyer at a large firm, and I remember Bon Witteller was going out of business. And Bon Witteller, for those of you who don't know, was a very large department store, much like Lord & Taylor going out of business right now. Bon Witteller was closing their stores, and I wanted to be at that sale. God knows what I would have found, you know. It was all about the hunt for me back in the day. And I guess that hunt is what it is now for people selling on eBay. You know, it's finding that treasure. And so I put my blazer on my chair and I wrote a note in the library doing research, but I was searching that sale. So now it's so much easier, right? We could go online, we could see, but then we didn't have that opportunity. So that, that just shows you what my passion was. It wasn't about 
doing legal research. Notice how Linda isn't really talking about the items she was buying at the sales. She's not describing a specific type of designer handbag or a specific brand of clothing. Linda is obsessed with the value of what she's getting. The quote-unquote treasures she's alluding to aren't treasures purely because they're valuable objects. They're treasures because the costs of acquiring those objects are significantly less than their usual costs. This is what makes eBay an attractive marketplace for someone like Linda. She's already great at figuring out how to obtain something for cheap, and eBay makes it easy for her to sell those same items for more money. This is called price arbitrage, and it's a concept Linda was exposed to at an early age. I guess my role model would be my parents. My dad is an entrepreneur. He worked for a company selling the tags that are on clothing that when you go through the alarm systems, and then he realized, wait a minute, I don't need to work for this company doing this. I could sell used tags to these stores. So he started his own company selling the tags and really found that niche. He's still somebody that I call for advice. He's somebody that I share my success. I share my failures and I seek advice from him. You know, what can I learn and how can I do better? He's always there for me, which has been great. Now, the fact that Linda's father found a way to acquire used clothing security tags for cheap and then sell them at a profit might not seem like a big deal, but it actually aligns with a pattern I've noticed as I do more of the interviews for this podcast. Turns out most of the entrepreneurs I've spoken with grew up with some sort of entrepreneurial role model in their homes. I bring this up because I think there's a relationship between being exposed to entrepreneurship at a young age and then pursuing a price arbitrage business as one of your first entrepreneurial ventures. For example, a common manifestation I've seen of this pattern is the kid in middle school who realizes she can buy a box of Skittles at Costco for 50 cents per pack and then turn around and sell those same Skittle packs at her school to all her friends for a dollar each. That kid almost always comes from a household with an entrepreneurial parent. Eventually, what happens is they usually move to other business models. And that's largely because there's really only so much money you can make selling Skittles. But Linda's story is a bit different because her price arbitrage experiment didn't happen until she was older. At the time, she was actually pursuing a more traditional career path. When I was in college and graduating college, traditional success at that time looked like being a lawyer, being a doctor, working at an investment bank. It wasn't defined by entrepreneurship. And now entrepreneurship is such a big part of our business world. And what small businesses do for our country is, is such a huge part of our economy. And I recently spoke at my law school. They have an entrepreneurship program there now. They didn't have that when I was at law school, and I sure wish they did. I mean, I think that would have made a greater impact on me. In other words, Linda grew up at a time when the term entrepreneur was like a polite euphemism for unemployed. That's just not what success looked like. But hearing her story, I kind of wonder if this actually worked to her advantage. By that, I mean it seems kind of like it allowed her to discover the opportunity in price arbitrage at an age when she could afford to put enough resources into it to make it a viable business strategy. 
Now to explain what I mean, I'll reveal a bit about my background. Right around the time Linda was first starting to sell designer clothes and accessories on eBay, I was launching my first business on eBay too. Now I discovered I could scour eBay's newest buy it now listings for great deals on electronics like laptops and Palm Pilots, buy them for cheap and then resell the same items back on eBay a few days later, usually for somewhere between a 50 and $100 profit. But while Linda went on to become one of the biggest eBay sellers in the world, I'm, well, doing a podcast about her. So clearly one of us was more successful than the other. I'm guessing a big factor in that success was access to resources. When Linda and I both got our starts on eBay, I was in college, so the money I was making, you know, it felt like great pocket money, but I never had enough cash to flip more than maybe a thousand or two thousand dollars worth of product, so it wasn't ultimately very scalable. Linda, on the other hand, was a bit farther in her career. She was already a salaried lawyer and her husband was a Wall Street trader. This meant Linda had resources to buy more product on her own that she could then arbitrage on eBay, and that's exactly what she did. She started seeking out more product to sell. She did this first by shopping on her own at local outlets. Marshalls or local outlets. Then by enabling her friends to sell. My friends from law school in New York were hearing about what I was doing and said, I'm going to send you my stuff. Can you sell it for me? Then she started helping strangers sell their stuff on eBay. Our business was selling for people like you, Aaron. You know, you cleaned out your closet, you sent in your stuff. And eventually by partnering directly with brands. Now it's grown into selling for industry, selling for manufacturers, selling for designers, selling for retailers. And we work with some of the largest online retailers that you can imagine. I'm under NDA, so I can't say who they are, but we work with some of the largest retailers and they send us their liquidation. We are a great resource for them. So that's been wonderful. And I, I say this and I mean it, like I've really grown up with eBay. And I've definitely, for better or worse, hitched my wagon to eBay. Some people call me the quote, queen of eBay. Don't necessarily love that. But I realized early on that there was a business to be had. How cool is that growth story? Linda caught the eBay wave at the right time in both her life and the company's life. So eBay, it kind of started as a platform that was sort of like the internet's garage sale, but it matured into one of the world's largest e-commerce marketplaces. And as eBay matured, Linda got to grow with it. But you know, of course, it wasn't really that easy. So I started selling on eBay, told you about the kids' video games, and then I morphed into selling my own stuff. And people started sending me stuff. And so for years, my business was in my house. And I mean, I wish I had pictures of it. Every ounce of my house was taken up by stuff that we were selling on eBay. I mean, every ounce. It was like crazy. So my kids would leave for school in the morning and, you know, the employees would come when the kids left for school and the kids would come home from school and my employees were still in our house. And I really was so, to me, this was like a hobby, but yet it was not a hobby. And it took me a long time to realize that it was a business. I, I tell a story and this is true. My one son was studying for his bar mitzvah and he had to chant portions of the Torah to a tape recording but there were people in his bedroom working. So they were working and he was practicing for his bar mitzvah at the same time. Kind of maybe not my best parental moment, but that's the way it was. And the business evolved. And then we realized 
gosh, our neighbor started to complain about the cars and we realized that we had to move the business out of the house. And we moved the business to a 5,000 square foot warehouse. And I remember we moved in there and I thought, oh my gosh, we are never gonna outgrow this space. This is like unbelievable. And two years later, we outgrew it and it was terrible. I mean, we had the fire marshal coming and we had stuff everywhere. And we moved into a 12,000 square foot warehouse. Two years later, 25,000 square feet. Two years later, 58,000. And then we expanded that. And now we're at 93,000 square feet. Linda's story about how she scaled from her house to an enormous warehouse is amazing for all sorts of reasons. But the thing I'm most interested in, you know, at least in terms of this podcast, is the analog nature of everything she's describing. Let's remember, Linda Lightman is one of the biggest eBay sellers in the entire world. In other words, she is the model of an internet entrepreneur. So isn't it a bit strange that the actual work of running her business has very little to do with, well, the internet? For as much as the internet and World Wide Web have impacted businesses, what they've mostly impacted is the user experience. The actual work of operating a business isn't all that different than it was 50 or 100 years ago. Sure, you got different technologies enabling and streamlining workflows, but in a lot of cases, running an internet business and being an internet entrepreneur is still mostly about logistics, operations, team management, customer service, and all those kinds of things that are decidedly non-techie. There's about 177 million buyers, unique buyers on eBay at any given time. And I think it's important to build the trust of the buying community. And you build the trust by providing a good experience from soup to nuts, whether it's the pictures that you take, it's answering questions from potential buyers. So if you ask a question, we're gonna be there to answer that question. We also give a phone number. I am a believer in letting people know that there's real people out there to help. I mean, how frustrating is it for all of us when we buy something online and there's no phone number? You're struggling with that purchase and you want to reach out to somebody. Okay, so we got phone numbers with real people answering. That means Linda has to employ lots of customer service agents. Let's see who else she's employing. So I get consignment from you and I process it and then I send you an inventory. And I give you a code that you can watch your items sell on eBay. That's exciting stuff, right? To see the items that you no longer want, use, or wear and watch them sell. That's awesome. A custom tracking process for her consigners. That means she's got a tech team building and maintaining an inventory system. And then how our bookkeeping pays you on those items. So she's got thousands of people sending her stuff to sell. And of course, they want to get paid. That means bookkeepers and accountants on staff. How do we ship those items? So in the early days, my kids would come home from school and my husband and my kids would go with piles like this. I'm showing a huge pile to the post office and line up and ship all the items. But of course, she couldn't have her husband and children making post office runs for the rest of their lives. So she had to hire warehouse workers. And the same was true for Linda, who was originally the person taking all the pictures. That may have worked when she was selling a few items a week or even a few items a day. But what happened as Linda's customers began selling more and more stuff through her? People who used to work for us listing would list like 
50 products a day. Now they list 150 to 200 products a day. And our photographers take 800 pictures a day. 800 pictures a day. That's pretty crazy. That means Linda has teams of photographers working for her. And those are just some of the jobs her employees are doing. And very few of them are the kinds of jobs most people would associate with an internet business. Which just goes to show that the term internet business doesn't mean staring at a computer screen all day. It really just means your customers are staring at a screen. On the other side of that screen, you're doing whatever you can to service those customers. Of course, that could mean something techy like writing code, but it could also mean running around a warehouse, photographing, packaging, and shipping products. You know, I think that's what being a good entrepreneur is all about, is knowing how to pivot, how to evolve, how to change with the times. You know, when I first started, it was taking pictures outside. I didn't know anything about studio lighting. I thought that the only way that you could get a good picture was being outside in the natural light. And I learned. I learned about studio lighting. I learned how to bring that process indoors because I live in the Northeast and in the winter, we weren't taking pictures. And I hired, went online and put ads at colleges, local colleges for employees. I went to a photography school and hired a photographer. First, when I hired my employees, we were working out of my house. I told them, like, you have to take the pictures outside. Again, I was convinced that that was the only way. And it was winter. And I remember they were outside with gloves and hats taking pictures. And then as the business evolved and I hired people who knew more than me and taught me so much. And I think that's also really important is being able to learn from the people that you work with knowing that you don't know everything and you're going to take advice from other people. They know a lot. And the help that I've had from the students that I've hired, there's no value I could put on that. I mean, it's been incredible. Yeah, that that does sound pretty incredible, but it, it couldn't have all been great, right? Could you maybe share some bumps along the way, aside from logistics of managing and operating a global shipping operation? What have been some of the, I guess, the biggest challenges you faced? You know, there are so many nuances to selling. It's very laborious. You know, people think, oh, you know, this is so easy. It's really not. It's a very touch business, right? Like I have to get the garments. I have to measure them. I have to see the condition. I also just want to back up one other second. You know, for us, we have two arms of our business. I look at it as a pendulum. We have consigners and we have buyers, and we have to please both, right? We have to get merchandise from consigners and then we sell it to buyers. And we have to please the buyers and we wanna create a very positive buying experience so that these buyers will come back. But we also wanna create a good experience for the consigners because they're our bread and butter. Without the inventory, we don't have the buyers. So it's a balance. And for us, it's learning how to sell internationally, how to ship internationally, how to make sure that all the goods that you're selling are authentic. In the world that we live in today, that's a very big concern. How do you authenticate? And that's a very big part of our business. You know, you get a Chanel handbag. How do you know it's real? And so while I'm pretty good at being able to tell if a Gucci handbag or a Chanel handbag is authentic, I learned early on that while my ability and me imparting that knowledge on my team is wonderful, it's not good enough. 
I think buyers want that stamp of approval. They want to know that an expert looked at that and is signing off. So for us, I decided I'm not going to make that a core competency of Linda's stuff. I'm going to rely on experts in the field and I'm going to figure out a way that we can send these other entrepreneurs, these authenticators. So, right, it's entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs send them pictures of handbags or sneakers or watches and let them give their stamp of approval so that my buyers have that confidence that they know that what they're buying is authentic. So for me, it's all about creating a good buying experience, creating a great consigner experience, taking great pictures, knowing how to price an item, researching what the market will bear for that item, shipping fast, and free, if possible, answering questions from potential buyers. It's a big picture. It's a lot. There's a lot of boxes to check. So in my mind and you know, from my experience, authenticity seems like a really big challenge for a company like yours. I mean, if you're selling Chanel and Prada and Gucci and Cartier, and you know, you're on a platform like eBay that I think people are already a bit skittish of in terms of seller reliability, How does that impact your business? Back in the day, you know, people thought eBay was rife with inauthentic goods. I think eBay did a wonderful job cleaning up the site. It's not like, oh, you go on eBay and it's fakes. eBay has authentic goods and they've done a great job better than any other platform weeding those inauthentic items off the site. eBay started a handbag authentication program where They stood behind the authentication. If you were a verified seller in the authentication program and somebody purchased a handbag and then said it was inauthentic, eBay stood behind that. Now they have it for watches. And it's it's really incredible. So they have verified sellers. So if you are a seller and you are conscientious and you're a valued seller selling watches, you have to, you know, do all the things that would make you verified, show that you're authenticating these watches and how you authenticate them and what's your process. And they're standing behind those purchases. And that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I can see that and appreciate the value of eBay having that. But in my mind, this is really one of the biggest differences between buying from someone like you on eBay versus buying from, say, a kind of a more private seller. So even though, yes, I'm using eBay, you're basically your own company that exists outside of eBay, right? I mean, Linda's stuff is its own brand. And having that brand gives me, as like as the consumer, confidence in what I'm buying. It's, you know, it's like I'm buying from Macy's. So I, Aaron, first of all, thank you for thinking of us as a brand. I like to think of us as a brand too, that we're not just a seller. We're like a brand selling on eBay and the brand is Linda's stuff. And I think you build the brand by working hard and working hard is being dedicated to the details, making sure that you answer questions. I I work all the time. And I don't want to stop working. I love it. it. It keeps me going. And I think the thing I'm most proud about that I've evolved with is my process. 
The process that you build is the infrastructure for your business. So it's how do I get goods from consigners and take them in and barcode them? And how do I know that this came from Aaron? And then how do I know, how does Aaron get his inventory? And how does Aaron get paid? And how do I authenticate Aaron's goods and ship Aaron back the items that we can't accept? And then how am I shipping to all of these people all over the world? And what does that look like? And it's a machine here. Notice how Linda describes her business as a machine. For me, that's entrepreneurship in its purest form. It's not about creating and selling awesome products. I mean, look at Linda. She doesn't technically have a product of her own to sell. She's literally selling other people's stuff. It's right there in the name of her company. But that doesn't matter because entrepreneurship isn't about creating products. It's about building a customer monetization machine. Yes, you're gonna have to sell something at some point, but the thing you're selling isn't as important as the machinery you've built to sell it. That's where the real value is because once you have that machine, you can deploy it in other ways with other products and in other verticals to continue growing your business. In fact, that's exactly what Linda is doing right now with the ever-growing Linda Stuff machine that she's already built. We do multi-channel selling. We sell on eBay. We do not sell on Amazon. We sell on our own e-commerce site. We sell designer handbags. You know those sites, Woolala and Gilt? So we curate the handbag sales, the vintage and luxury handbag sales for both of those sites. Currently, we're doing a sale on Woolala right now. And when you go on, it'll say like um, vintage and luxury picks by Linda Stuff. So we curate a shop for them of really beautiful designer handbags and we sell on their site. A guy who was a big fashion exec at eBay left and is now working for another company in China, and we just launched on that site. So there are some really exciting things going on. And out of curiosity, what about eBay? Uh, is there still room to grow on there, or do you think you've done pretty much everything you can? I'm very bullish on eBay. I think that eBay has been a great partner for me. I love selling on eBay. I love that I have grown up with eBay. I, I sound like a commercial for eBay, but eBay's been good to me. I can't complain, right? I'm, and I'm talking about eBay as a platform. I've grown a business selling on eBay. So I think that eBay is really back to its roots. I think that people are really buying and people are still always looking for that unique item. Whether you're a collector, whether you're a treasure hunter, I think that eBay offers a platform that cannot be found anywhere else. Okay, so lots more growth to be had on eBay and lots more growth to be had elsewhere too. So what about venture capital? Would you ever consider growing that way? 20 years ago when I started this business, there was nobody else. There was no ThreadUp or Poshmark or the real, real. It was me. And I did not take venture capital money. Whether or not that was a poor decision, I don't know. I just know that I built the business, working hard, sweat equity, I call it, while others then popped up and took tons of venture money and grew their business that way, we didn't go that route. 
But then I've seen failures too. I've seen businesses that got tons of venture money in my space and I've seen them come and go. They're there too. So did I make a mistake? People ask me that all the time. I don't know. And considering where Linda is now, it seems hard to say she did anything wrong. Well, unless you ask her about her company's name, Linda's Stuff. When I started selling it, I called the company Linda's Stuff. So if I knew it was going to be the behemoth that it is now, I certainly would never have called the company Linda Stuff. But that's history, so it doesn't matter. You can't change it. Honestly, I like the name Linda's Stuff. It tells you what you need to know. Linda is selling stuff, and boy, does she sell a lot of it. More importantly, at least to me, is that it points to the history of what she's built and how she built it. And that's actually a big part of why we're hearing her story today. You see, I was on eBay a few weeks ago looking for a replacement strap for a watch, and I kept getting spooked away by sellers that made me worried I might be getting something that wasn't genuine. Then I came across a strap I liked, looked up the seller, saw she had nearly a million positive reviews, and I knew I could trust what I was buying. That seller was Linda Lightman. Of course, when I started Googling her, I discovered her incredible story and thought it was exactly the kind of early internet entrepreneurship story worth sharing with all of you. And I hope you've enjoyed learning about it as much as I enjoyed researching it. If you have, I'm gonna ask you to do me a tiny favor and head over to your favorite podcast platform of choice and write us a five-star review. It'll only take you a couple of minutes and it really helps us as we continue trying to grow the podcast and reach more people. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get the next episode as soon as it's available. Before we wrap up, I want to thank our wonderful guest, Linda Lightman of Linda's Stuff, for very graciously agreeing to hop on a call with some crazy customer claiming to have a podcast and wanting to interview her. You can get all the stuff she's currently selling at shoplindastuff.com. And of course, you can search for Linda's Stuff on eBay. You won't have any trouble finding it. I also want to thank our sound engineer, Ryan Higgs, for all his work putting together today's episode. And I want to thank our amazing sponsor, Latona's. In a way, Latona's is kind of like the Linda's stuff of digital assets. They're experts at helping you package and list your digital assets so you can get top dollar for them. So if that's something that interests you, be sure to check out latonas.com. As always, you can reach out to us on Twitter. We're at webmasterspod. I'm on Twitter too, at Aaron Dinan. That's A-A-R-O-N-D-I-N-I-N. I also write lots of articles about startups, entrepreneurship, and internet businesses over on medium.com. So search for my name over there. You're going to find all those articles. And that should keep you busy with lots of great content until we release our next episode in just a few days. But for now, I guess it's time for me to sign off. Goodbye. Goodbye.